All right, we're live. Uh, thanks everyone again for joining us here on, on the Beyond the Swing podcast. Uh, I got a pretty, pretty cool guest here today. Um, we got Daniel back from Jump Science. For those who haven't heard of, heard of Daniel, Coach Back, he is um, an athletic development coach uh, currently working in Texas, primarily with youth and college level um, athletes, uh, but he does, he's developed um, the jump science system. Um, I believe that is jump.science.com. Uh, he'll correct me if I'm wrong on that, but basically a system for how to jump higher. What are the kind of things that an athlete needs to do to jump higher? Uh, but a lot of that is is pretty similar to what an athlete needs to do to serve bigger or run faster or, or do a lot of athletic movements, explosive movements better. Um, so Daniel, welcome, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add? Something I missed there? Uh, I have two corrections. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> My last name is actually pronounced Bach. Ah, okay. Yeah, looks like Bach. Um, the website is just jump.science. There is no.com. Okay. Yeah, that was a 2020 uh, development. Yeah. Okay. Cool. cool. Where is that uh, from, Bach? What's the uh, origination? Uh, I'm Dutch, Dutch heritage. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, uh, okay. Other than that, uh, yeah, Dan, <laughs> Coach, Coach Bach is, is uh, an awesome um, uh, development coach, athletic development coach. I've been following him for few years now and love his stuff uh both um his video content and his articles on his site so definitely have to check those we'll we'll get to those links uh at the end but so um basically let's get right into it i know you you coach uh high school college athletes and there's a big focus on um you know sprinting jumping and lifting um on your site I'm going to lay, lay the foundation here for, for listeners. You mentioned that to jump higher, so in other words, increase vertical jump height, there are four things that are kind of critical that are important, and that's to accumulate a history of jumping, so jumping a lot, using elastic volume, so doing things that are more explosive, elastic in nature, and that you, you mentioned that that could be just playing your sport getting adequately flexible, so stretching, full range of motion, strength training, and then increasing squat strength. And you mentioned that it could be up to two times body weight. That, that could be a reasonable long-term goal. Um, and then you, you, at the end, you go on to say that if you have any explosive act, uh, goal, that you can basically repeat this process, but instead of jumping, you replace it with whatever explosive activity you want to improve. So, so whether that's, you know, serving, hitting a forehand, changing direction, accelerating, um, am I correct with in saying that, that last bit? Yeah, the formula uh, stays largely similar. Um, and that gets into sort of the, um, generality principle where a lot of athletic activity is general and not specific. Whereas if, where if you have 
you know, some of the raw tools like muscular power, you have elasticity, uh, you're able to produce force fast, you know, you can use those things to accomplish uh, athletic tasks across the board. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of transferability in some of those, some of those physical qualities. Okay. And I guess you're saying that, um, you know, your sport, that is your, your specific training, correct? Yes. Yes. So, so all, yeah. all this other stuff, like your squat, for example, that's, that's general, but how does, how does that general squat fit into the equation? And, and you know, why, why, why squat? Like out of all the other things are kind of more, um, you know, general, those, those four critical things, three of them are kind of like, you know, there's a lot of things that could go into those categories, but squat strength is, is like one specific thing that you're focusing on. Right. So, I mean, really it's about, it's about getting strong relative to body weight. And the reason that squat strength was, um, sort of the, the one that I picked to try to simplify it down in that category, um, is because it is a, or it hopefully is a knee and hip extension strength exercise, which, uh, which are, you know, sort of the two, two joints that are going to generate the most power for your athletic movements. Um, and in particular, your, your ground-based athletic movements. So like you're sprinting and jumping. Um, and so, yeah, by, by having a, a big lift that addresses the hip and knee extension, um, that's, that covers a lot of bases in the strength department. Um, now the ankle is obviously another one that you don't want to, you know, don't want to leave out of the equation, but that's actually going to be largely covered by those other things I've mentioned, the athletic activity and the elastic activity or that, yeah, the practicing your athletic activity and the elastic activity. Um, and then I do go on to talk about, uh, structural development using other strength exercises, mm -hmm. but yeah, the squat being the one that is it serves as a good indicator of where your strength is at because it is that large scale knee and hip extension strength exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess there are some still structural adaptations to squatting. Yes, absolutely. But you're primarily looking at it from kind of, well, you're looking at it from a neural perspective and also like you talked about there, um, just the joint actions that you're you're kind of targeting through squatting, mm -hmm. right? But so why why do we get this? Why do coaches have this this thing where they they want to do front squats instead of back back squats? Or and what is is there a difference? Why should we do more back squatting versus front squatting? Um, so you know the the ideas that go into front squatting are typically uh, posture and, and uh, quadriceps related. Like they're, they're saying we wanna have a more upright squat. So we're gonna do a front squat because um, it's gonna like, you know, teach posture or, or you know, something along those lines. Um, or we wanna target the quads, which, you know, a more upright squat in theory uh, does target the quads. Mm. Um, those are the most common 
reasonings I've seen behind front squat. I've also seen like to train your upper back strength. Um, so that one for me, I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, I don't want to use my squat to train upper back, back strength. I can train it. However, you know, a lot of different ways. I don't want to like compromise my squat in order to do that. Yeah. Um, on the other two points, what I, my, my pushback against those ideas is that, yeah, we do want to have an upright squat and we want to train the quads. Um, we can do this with a back squat. Mm. And in my opinion, we should be trying to do this with a back squat. And, and that's, you know, that's going to teach posture and it's going to develop the quads every bit as much as a front squat does. In fact, I would argue it's probably going to be better because we'll be able to do more weight. We're not going to be limited by upper body strength. Um, now, visibly, typically a front squat is going to be a little bit more upright than a back squat um, because the body is located or the, you know, the bar is located in front of the body versus, versus behind. Um, so it does appear generally it'll be more upright, but if you look at the, uh, squat from the side, a lot of times the bar path will actually be pretty much the same. Mm. And if the bar path is pretty much the same, you're looking at, you know, where the bar is positioned horizontally relative to the knees and the hips. If the bar path is the same and the bar has the same, um, leverage against your knees and hips. And so then it, it you know, if it's in the same spot, it's really not then loading the knees more than the hips in a front squat. You could argue that, you know, the torso, because the torso shifted a little bit, the torso is going to load the knees a little bit more, but it's just typically, if you watch the execution of, you know, the same athlete doing a front squat and the same athlete doing a back squat, um, the execution of the two is not such that the front squat obviously trains the quads more. Mm. Um, and then again, the front squat's going to have, you know, probably 20% reduced weight. Yeah. So with those two factors in mind, it's like, I don't, you know, it's hard to really say that the front squat is training the quads more. Um, so I don't think it's, it's typically, we're not really getting out of it what we want to get out of it when we do it. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's really just like, okay, yeah, we can do some front squats just for variety sometimes. Um, but that's really not, it's not like I'm going to opt for front squats over back squats for an athlete, you know, as sort of their big lift. Um, I really want to stick with that back squat. Yeah. I think the issue that people get into is that they'll compare, they'll compare like a, a bad bent over back squat, or maybe a, maybe a low bar back squat, which is sort of a little bit more bent over by design. They'll mm -hmm. compare that to like um, an elite weightlifter doing a front squat yeah, who yeah. is, you know, like as close to vertical as anybody <laughs> and their knees are way out in front. And they'll say, look at the difference between these two. It's yeah. like, okay, yeah, but uh, look at the same athlete performing an upright back squat versus an upright front squat uh, tends to be a lot more similar uh, especially if we're not talking about elite weightlifters who, you know, front squat is part of their sport at the, uh, to finish a clean. Exactly. Um, yeah. If we're talking about a, your typical high school or college athlete doing a front squat, back squat, a lot of times that front squats um, similarly, similarly bent over, shifted forward and uh, not really accomplishing anything more for the quads than a back squat would, or probably less actually because of the reduced weight. Yeah. And, and Olympic lifters are, 
even on their back squat, they're pretty upright. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, that. Uh, so, so if you're if you're bringing it, if you're taking a, a younger athlete kind of through your your squat, like, would you get them squatting um, on the first day? And I guess you know, I, I don't see you doing high kind of volume work with your squat. So, how do you because squatting is also you need to develop sort of the skill of of squatting as well right you need some some repetitions so how do you go about that in terms of your loading to maybe you know not not do these really high rep sets or maybe you do do them um but how do you progress like walk us through that a little bit with with sort of a younger athlete are we talking like introducing them to strength training for the first time yeah, maybe you get like a, you know, 15 or 16 year old kid who's just, just starting strength training. Um, yeah. So I'm first looking at just a, just a body weight squat mm. and I want to see, see what that looks like. Um, that'll already kind of clue me into, are they going to have a hard time staying upright when they, you know, when they squat um, and are their are their knees going to want to collapse a bunch when they squat? Um, so I want to at least see that so that I know kind of what I'm up against, first of all. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll let the, uh, I'll allow the heels to come off the ground because I am looking for that, that knees forward, upright type of squat. Um, and then from there, I'll go to a goblet squat and, and I'll put, uh, put their heels elevated on a slant board for that. Mm. And then, um, we'll see how the goblet squat goes. And if they're, you know, if they're young and very raw and maybe a, a 30 pound goblet squat is not that easy for them, then I might just stay there. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't want to though stay on the goblet squat because the goblet squat is actually, it tends to shift, you know, the, the weights in front of you, the, the dumbbell tends to be in front and you tend to not get a lot of that, that load on the quads then at least from the dumbbell. Mm. Um, again, you know, the body does position itself a little bit so that you'll get that load on the quads. But um, yeah, if the goblet squat is quality and I know that they can, and they're at least strong enough to squat the bar well, then I'm going to go to the back squat. Um, and that might be within the first session, you know, if they're, if they're holding things together pretty well. Um, it, yeah, it would just depend on the quality of things. But yeah, I might, I might go with a back squat, he, uh, heels elevated upright back squat on the, in the first session. Um, mm -hmm yeah of course if you, if you yeah. do do that let's say they they do they look okay and you do do the back squat like what would um not load like load you're you're gonna start pretty light um but how, how do you progress your your reps and sets like are you asking them still to kind of be explosive through that movement or um you know assuming that they have decent squat mechanics uh, I wouldn't be asking for the explosive piece on day one. Um, if, if they are good at, good at the squat, then, you know, maybe the second time we do it, I might bring it up like, Hey, on the way up, let's try to move the bar a little bit fast. You know, even though, even though it's not that heavy, let's try to like push hard and, and move it fast. Um, yeah, I might, I might get into that, the intent side of things pretty quickly if, if it's looking good. Um, whereas if they're, you know, struggling to stay upright, then it's just a continued focus on that. Um, and then you really, that, that type of person, you don't really, 
want to uh, try to make them rush or, or, or be explosive because it'll make things kind of fall apart. Um, I generally, I'm doing sets of five and, and I'll just like stick with sets of five as long as things are light. And then if, you know, once we get to a point of doing like maybe a heavy set of five, then like the next week, I won't just return to heavy set of five again. I'll use five or less. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really don't go past five on squats. I, I, I used to back in my early, uh, my early days of trainer, uh, being a trainer, um, that was just based on some things that I had done with some people, um, like that, that co coaches had had me do, um, and, and I had success, but, uh, there's been, I'd say a, a nice chunk of evidence now that supports, even if you want to do, you know, like, so four by 10 was kind of like a common yeah. week one squatting approach. Yeah. Um, there's evidence now that even if you want to do 40 total reps, you're better off doing eight by five than four by 10. Mm. You get higher quality reps uh, and it produces some better adaptations over the course of a few weeks. If you do it that way. Um, I, yeah, I tend to go five by five or six by five because 40 reps week one is kind of, <laughs> you're just asking for a bunch of soreness. So, Oh yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> down there. We, we yeah. through those, those schemes before. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, when learning squats, I'm usually, usually sets of five. And then once they're doing things at reasonably heavy weights, then I'll mix up the, the number from one to five. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, I guess also you're working with athletic population you know, for me as well, like, I don't want to see a lot of hypertrophy really for, for tennis players, but right, I guess not the goal to get there, you know, there will be, that will be a byproduct, you know, to some extent, but it's not like, you know, a targeted focus. And I, I'm assuming that as well, even though gaining muscle is actually not that easy. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but talk a little bit about you know, kind of your approach to, to long-term uh, strength training, because that's, that's typically what you want to do, right? Like a lot of these, these younger kids too, they're playing uh, their sport, you know, multiple times a week. You do mention that, are, you know, like I said earlier, it's a reasonable goal to have a two times body weight squat. Just touch on, on that, a little, those things a little bit, like, you know, where is that number? Why that number? And, and how long do these long-term adaptations, you know, take? Okay. Um, so really the, the first thing I want to talk about is I always want to keep strength as a complement to the athletic side of things. Mm. Um, and so I don't want to like chase max squat numbers and, you know, focus on driving that up all the time. Um, I really want just like steady changes in that department over time that hopefully bring along with it, uh, you know, measurable athletic improvement as well. You know, I want to see vertical jump, broad jump, sprint speed, all, all increasing um, as that, as the squat goes up. And so for me, that typically means, uh, you know, we're strength training, it, you know, if I have control over things, then it's like, okay, we're going to strength train twice per week. Um, and then I, you know, the people that I work with in person, I don't see, I don't, it's been very rare that I would see them three times a week, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, like in my jump science system, I use a, a third workout that, but it's generally pretty, 
you know, pretty easy. We're just kind of putting in some of the, some of the, you know, easier structural exercises into, into the third workout of the week. Um, so I want to have that sort of just patient approach, um, typically doing, you know, like one heavy set per week, basically Mm. like one set of struggling per week across all lifts. Oh, wow. You know, like, yeah. Cause I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to struggle to finish a set of RDLs, not trying to struggle to finish a set of, uh, well, I should say, you know, like calf raises or something we can struggle on, but you know, in terms of, uh, yes, you know, squatting, lunging, deadlifting, RDLs, like I'm looking for basically in, in a week, like one tough set of squats is basically the hard lifting and the rest of it is pretty, you know, it's either medium or fast even. And then, uh, and then high quality. Hmm. And, uh, so yeah, that's kind of the approach I want to take. And then the issue I would say that I run into with the people that I work with is that they're not necessarily taking that approach. (laughs) Um, the, the, the people I work with have, you know, a lot of other things going on. And so you mentioned like a 14, 15 year old, I think who, you know, just, just starting strength training. Well, I don't, <laughs> that doesn't exist here in Texas. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, maybe the, maybe the rare track athlete would yeah. be that, that, uh, that scenario, but they're typically, uh, you know, 12 years old, they're starting. Oh wow. Um, so yeah. So then it's sort of what have they done previously? What are they currently doing? How can I complement it? How can I help them with it? Um, and then also running into the, particularly with the, the football crew, um, are they actually over strength training? And am I now trying to tell them to maybe don't do extra lifting and maybe, you know, we have to actually do more sprinting to try to try to counteract everything else you have going on. Um, now, as far as that two times body weight goal, uh, that's just coming from, from experience of coaches throughout time, I think of, of, you know, when we are looking at agile athletes, good jumpers, um, you know, maybe to a less extent, like really good max velocity sprinters, but, you know, even, even among them, like a lot of them are up near or some are even well over two times body weight. Yeah. Um, and then, and then also the experience of, as you take an athlete from, let's say they're, you know, 1.2 or something, as you take them up to 1.5 past 1.5 and, and even higher, um, in, in a lot of cases, there is good athletic results from that. Hmm. So I think that, yeah, I don't know if there's any like formula that produced the two times body weight squat number, um but yeah it's just sort of based on observation of of athletes over time and uh, yeah i would also say if we're looking at resiliency uh, in terms of like knee health things like that um like for me you know in the the jump community obviously jumpers knee is a is a big big topic a a big issue and uh yeah if you have a you know a quality double body weight squatter they definitely are a lot more resilient in that department yeah um versus a yeah you know what 1.2 or something um so so yeah i see a lot of 
you see the people that are, you know, talented jumpers that actually haven't had to get that strong in order to jump high. Um, and, you know, maybe they, by the time they're 16, they're already a good athlete and they get pretty obsessed with jumping. And then it's like, you can just, you know, the jumper's knee is coming, <laughs> you know, it's like, they just, you're really athletic. You're producing a lot of force on these jumps and you don't have a bunch of background of building up your structures to support that. And so you can sort of see that issue coming in. Yeah. So for, for that type of athlete, um, pursuing that, that higher squat is a good measure. Um, and it, it's going to help their performance a lot too in that, in that case. Yeah. Um, was that sort of the topics you were looking for there? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, what's important to, to note here for listeners also is that we're talking about deep squatting, like, yes, you know, not below, quarter parallel, squats. <laughs> below parallel type squats, because that's where we're getting also these structural benefits at the knee. Um, and we, we, I mean, tennis players get, uh, have knee problems a lot these days as well. I mean, we're changing direction, um, just a lot of wear and tear type yeah. activities, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's key, I think for, for a lot of tennis folks, we have the, the opposite problem in the tennis world. Whereas in Texas, they might start at 12 and in tennis, they don't start till like 22, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and by that time you're competing a lot um but on, on that note i'm, I'm kind of curious because we you know in our sport and even in a lot of sports you know these days when you look at college or pro um i mean there's their competitive schedules are so long right like how do you if you needed to take a shorter term approach um like what would, what would you do what would that look like to you if you if you knew that they wouldn't be able to hit this quality too often during the course of a season yeah so i've talked about this before um maybe just maybe just an email responses to people because i've got you know i've gotten this question of like hey you know once i once i get to september and i start basketball practice or start whatever practice you know yeah. Um, I'm going to be going steady until next summer. <laughs> uh, you know, what can I do in the next three months? And so in that case, I think you, you just can get more aggressive with the training. Um, you do hope then that like during that summer, during that window, uh, that they are drastically reducing their sport mm. to, to prioritize you know, the, the adaptations to the strength training or, or the other, you know, whatever types of training you're doing. Um, yeah. You know, if you take, if you take a five days a week sports schedule and you just add an, an aggressive intense training program on top of it, uh, the odds that it's going to be very successful are, are low. Um, yeah. You're just, yeah. You're just adding a bunch of stress on top of your sport now. And then, you know, so that that's, that's tough. Uh, but yeah, so that's where you would look at, you know, if we're talking about getting stronger, okay, let's, let's lift three times per week and let's maybe go hit that heavy set on two of those days. Mm. Um, and, and then we're hoping that, you know, every, every two weeks we're like noticeably stronger, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're training a lot more aggressively and we're trying to 
you know, maybe we're trying to add 50 pounds to your max in three months, mm. you know, something like that. Um, I will say the more you lift, the more you need some variety in the squatting. So then you would, you know, be more likely to, you know, deep squat, two thirds squat, box squat, um, you know, use, uh, I just think hammering the same exact pattern over time. Um, one, it tends to like produce fatigue in that pattern. Mm. Um, depend, it, I mean, it depends how hard you do it, but, but the other thing is that you run the risk of like specifically getting really good at one type of lift mm. and you want to make sure that you are, that you are getting generally good across the board. Hmm. um yeah and the, the the other people that talk to about that would be the conjugate method people right the the west side barbell disciples right the ones that use tons of squatting variety in order to avoid uh, accommodation i think they call it yeah. um yeah again that one i don't know about data on that so much as just like experience yeah people just kind of felt this way over time um but yeah that's that's an, another another wrinkle there if you're going to lift you know lift harder lift more often then i think some variety is helpful there um so yeah you just get more aggressive with things you go heavy a little bit more often um try to drive things up faster and make some bigger changes uh within that window but it really does like yeah if you're going to up if you're going to increase that that strength training stress you really you have to back off of other things otherwise you're just going to run yourself into the ground you know like you could very easily lift more and get weaker yeah yeah exactly that that fatigue is is really key um managing that so how you talk about you know just a few sets during the week that you're really going after it so when you're going through a squat session i'm, I'm guessing just what i'm hearing is that you're each set you're progressing the, the load, right? So if you're yes. doing three, like, I don't know, six or eight sets of three, you're progressing until the last one or two sets is really the closer to your max, right? Yes, all, always ramping up. Um, always ramping yeah, up. like squat, squat and deadlift are always ramping um, mm -hmm. those big lifts. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've used like, uh, you know, like if we're going to do four sets of, uh, four sets of four at 90% or something like that. Um, although again, you know, that will be the type of thing you might use more if you're trying to be really aggressive. Yeah. You know, if it's like, if I'm trying to be stronger next week, <laughs> maybe, you know, doing some more work up at 90%, you know, might get me there faster. It's also going to run the risk of, you know, if I do, again, if you do that work, uh, you know, multiple workouts per week for a few weeks in a row, you might get faster, really strong. You also might run into a wall pretty quickly mm. where you suddenly, you know, just drop down 5% strength for a, a mysterious reason, um, which is why, you know, I prefer the more patient approach, but, uh, but yeah, if you were trying to be more aggressive, that is, you know, one of the things you can do is just get more high intensity work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and just to kind of wrap a bow on this, this squatting for a second. So what is, in general, just what's the mechanism behind, like, this will help you improve any athletic ability, you know? Why, yeah, does, so, why would it help a tennis player serve harder? 
for example? Yeah, so it just gets, um, you know, getting into a little bit of physiology here. When you are performing a heavy lift, uh, you are using maximum uh, neural drive mm. to stimulate as, mus as much muscle tension as you can. Um, and then you are sustaining that for, you know, much longer than you do in a typical athletic movement. Yeah. You know, and when, so we're talking about, you know, maybe on the way up, it's, it's an entire second of sustained high effort mm -hmm. or, or maybe it's, you know, three quarters of a second, you know, depending on how heavy the lift is. Yeah. Um, and so that stimulus basically makes your, makes your nervous system generally better at creating drive mm. and it, and then it's going and it makes your muscles generally better at producing muscle tension mm. and those two things translate very well to other movements yeah and so that's why and oh, I, I would also add in like with the squat the, you know the movement pattern itself is full body extension Mm. right like we talked about knee and hip extension um really i mean i think you want to put the torso in there as well it's not you're not hopefully moving your torso a bunch but you're you know sustaining an extended position in the torso mm. um and then even i mean even the soleus right when you have the like extending the ankle from a dorsiflex position yeah um so even even the calves there is some, some drive there although not probably not as much compared to a calf raise but so you have this full body extension pattern. And so your, your nervous system is training, you know, hard effort, full body extension. Mm. And that, and full body extension is basically what drives most of our athletic movements. Yeah. Even, yeah, even rotational things, you know, like golf swing, even overhead things like throwing or serving, mm. um, much of that power is initiated with lower body extension. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the idea of why it why it translates, why it works. Mm. Um, now, as you know, you know, I love to talk about. There's obvious differences between athletic movements and squatting, mm. and this is why we do have to be wary of, you know, doing it too much, making it too big of a focus. Uh, and, and, you know, sort of training ourselves into just becoming a, a good lifter instead of a great athlete. Um, so, you know, we do have to consider that factor, <clears throat> consider that factor. But, uh, but that doesn't change the fact that there is good transfer from squatting to athletic movements. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be somewhat controversial sometimes on podcasts, but I can't uh, disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, it just, it's just, there's just so much science and research on this as well. It's not like you're just making this stuff up. So, I mean, I would just recommend, uh, listeners to check out also just your article on how to jump higher because it's a really easy read and just replace the jumping with anything. So if it's serving, you want to get better at it's your ground stroke, if you want to get faster, you know, move better on the court, then, then just substitute that quality and uh and it'll you know it'll help drastically so uh um all right so let's uh, a couple more questions here for you um 
you know, there's this big fascination with, uh, you know, unilateral strength training these days, you know, oftentimes uh, it's not quite unilateral, right? It's, it's kind of quasi unilateral, like in a split squat or a Bulgarian or rear foot elevated squat. I mean, you're not only doing, you're not only placing the load on, on one leg, right? Right. It's not true unilateral. It's not true, right? I mean, there is true. Like I've seen you do stuff where you're doing true unilateral stuff where you're doing, you know, like a, a one leg squat where you're, you're on a box or something like that. But what is it, is this fascination like warranted? I mean, aren't there greater neural benefits uh, when the absolute loads are, are just higher? So yeah, I mean, first of all, I would say I'm very much for unilateral training. Yeah. Um, not, yeah, not criticizing and not saying we don't need it or anything of that nature. Um, as a, as a driver of performance, um, I, yeah, it's what you're talking about. I think you, you take away sort of that, uh, just that full body hard push without much restriction on it, you know, mm. um, typically loading up a unilateral movement, you know, you're going to get a little bit more stability demand. It's going to slow things down. Um, and so you might just lose some of that, uh, that speed and just that maximum effort. Now you could use that same approach to say, well, should we just squat in a machine then? Right. Versus a free weight. And I mean, you can honestly, you can have that discussion. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I haven't had the experience myself of, I did lunges. I went kind of heavy on them. Um, and then the next day or the days following, I was like measurably more athletic. And then the next time I went to a squat, I was obviously stronger because I did these lunges. Um, I have had the opposite experience of, I did one squat workout and now my deadlift went up, my snatch went up, lunges feel easier, pistol squats feel easier. You know, like I just, everything, I just got better. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my experience. And I would say, you know, there are plenty of other people that would sort of say, yeah, I kind of have the same experience, but the squat really just drives up everything. Mm. Um, of course, we do have plenty of people who say, hey, unilateral strength is better for this, better for that. Um, again, research hasn't like taken a side on, in that debate. Mm -hmm. um but you know they're they're doing things like we had this group do uh bilateral strength training and this group did unilateral and they got similar athletic athletic results after six weeks yeah. or you know something of that nature and uh it's like yeah okay i mean i, I guess I, you know i believe that i believe that could happen um that's not necessarily addressing all the details of the bilateral strength training uh, or, you know, what if we do both and mm -hmm. we, and we use bilateral to go heavy and we use unilateral as, uh, more structure or more therapeutic, yeah. uh, purposes, you know, so it's not, you know, research is never like really doing things to the level of what a coach does. Right. As far as the exercise selection, the details of the execution, you know, all the, all these things. Um, 
But yeah, I wouldn't say there's a, a real strong evidence to say that bilateral strength training is superior, but it's more of just, you know, decades of people doing stuff. They, they you know, I would say more of them probably gravitate towards bilateral for, again, for your heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, and that just having a little bit more of that, that neurological um, benefit. But again, I mean, coaches aren't measuring neurological benefit you know it's like we don't really have a way to like say okay your neural drive increased by by 10 percent after doing this or you know like that's not really a lot of these things are they're not measurable for us yeah but you can um, so tell right like from yeah you can kind of tell when yeah like he's that's definitely helped him jump higher or further or whatever right right um and even like personally something you just feel things sometimes you know yeah um so yeah it's it's a little bit more experience and instinct kind of kind of based claim um but but i still gravitate toward that side of the that side of the debate <clears throat> yeah um, and, and not to say that you're not you're, you're you're doing i mean i've seen your your jump science program which is which is great and you're doing lunges and split squats and all yeah. that stuff, right like yeah if, you got pistols you got side lunges you got single leg hinges in there yeah like i'm all for unilateral strength training it's just a matter of what role do i have it play yeah yeah exactly. yep. and it can be you know for tennis i mean every time someone lands on a serve there's a massive stretch on the hamstring so uh, have we adequately like you know prepared those structures and it's probably better to do it in like a single leg rdl you know sure yeah things like that so it's definitely warranted now i do i'm a little bit curious because there's like a ton of these progressions out there these days where you you have to do eight weeks of of split squats before you can progress to a reverse lunge and then you need another you know, amount of time before you can progress to a forward lunge and then a traveling lunge, you know, can we not just place athletes into different, I mean, the load will obviously, well, for my opinion, it dictates what an athlete can do or can't do. But I mean, is there is, I don't see your programs following this type of progression. I see it more as like, you know, variety um, purposes, but can you, can you expand on that a little? Yeah, so, um, you know, the split squat where you keep your feet planted is uh, a, a little bit easier probably to stay stable. And then you can all, it's also typically going to be a little more gentle because you're not going to go down real fast, or at least, I mean, you could go down real fast if you wanted to, but yeah. um, like a reverse lunge is never slow down, at least not if you're executing it correctly. Um, so yeah, the split squat where you keep your feet planted can, you know, can go down slowly and control. Um, I do consider that, that, you know, that the split squat is a little bit easier. Um, and so if I'm introducing something to somebody, I will go with that first. Mm. And then, yeah, it's maybe more subtle in the jump science programs, but like the lower levels will be a little more split squat earlier on mm. um and then maybe you know touch on reverse lunges later um 
but that's also, you know, in the jump science programs, I'm planning for somebody who I don't know, you know, I'm, it's, it's available for anybody to go purchase and do. So I kind of like just have this approach that's blind to some degree. Hmm. Um, certainly there are plenty of people who are in level two who could probably do reverse lunges on week one. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think there is, you know, th there is an idea of like, this is a little bit more challenging version of a split leg strength exercise. Um, but that is not a reason why somebody has to do eight weeks of split squats first. <laughs> um, it, it's more like, okay, so just if someone's a beginner starting here, but they might be able to just do reverse lunges week two, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't have any like time frame requirements on it. You know, if, if things look good, then let's, we can move on. You know, there's not anything like dangerous or that requires a bunch of prep about a reverse lunge that I feel a need to, you know, yeah, do, do months of split squats first. Mm. Um, so yeah, I understand the rationale as far as, you know, one version being more difficult than the other, but yeah, it's just not, it's not like, it's not a lift that requires a whole bunch of preparation for, I don't think it's really just about the quality of execution. If someone can do it well, then they can do it well the first week if, if yeah yeah there's no reason they can't that's the thing right and that's where you know some of these progressions you see you know kind of senior athletes say oh no i have to do this first or, or whatever but i mean they're already placing a ton of force like in a lunge pattern let's say in, in their sport right right like a forward lunge pattern, you know, where they're decelerating, you know, and maybe there might be already like a couple times their body weight, you know, acting on those, those joints. Yeah. And things happening happening fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think like you're saying, yeah, you, you kind of have to see the athlete and where they're at, but just blindly following progressions doesn't quite, quite make, make a lot of sense. Right. Um, all right, a couple more questions here. I, I, I know you're busy. You got coaching coming up this afternoon, but uh, the other critical component in your in kind of your system, um, well, one of them I wanted to, to touch on is a little bit is is flexibility. What uh, you, you mentioned, obviously, full range strength training. We've mentioned that you know deep full range squatting is important. Um, Talk a little bit about, you know, the daily stretching, like what does that, what does that look like? Is that just basic static stuff? Um, what are kind of the time ranges? Are you doing isometrics with that? You know, take us through that a bit. Okay. Um, so first of all, I would say that, yeah, you know, stretching is not in vogue right now um in the exercise field i think over the past uh, i mean i feel like as long as i've been a, a coach and kind of like you know got a pulse on the on the internet uh internet informational sources um it's kind of been progressively getting less and less popularized and you know they're, yeah they're, they're they're coming out with you know this data that data that says stretching doesn't prevent injuries things like that um some of that stuff has like at least made me think about things a little bit more. Um, but I still, you know, still very much in favor of flexibility and stretching. Um, 
And basically it's based on, again, it gets back to experience of, you know, you watch people move and, or you watch them, you know, attempt exercises. Like let's say, let's say we're trying to do a deep squat or we're trying to do maybe a a good, you know, a, a lateral lunge with your thigh getting the parallel. And, you know, some people, their hip mobility is atrocious and they can't even perform these exercises well. Yeah. And all I'm saying is, well, let's at least have the ability to do this exercise, mm. right? Um, let's, you know, if we're doing an, a, a hip hinge or an RDL, like we should be able to get the bar below the knees with a straight back, you know, <laughs> like that, that, that's a thing we want to be able to do. Um, <laughs> so all I'm advocating is for, let's get enough flexibility to be able to do that, right? Um, uh, another example would be in sprinting, uh, during, you know, after about the first 10 meters or so, you want to see high heel recovery, um, where after your foot leaves the ground, it comes up, you know, up by your butt and it doesn't drag down, uh, you know, more, let's just say more about knee height. Um, that that's, a definitely a killer for your speed. If your heel doesn't recover high. And uh, one of the things that can prevent that high heel recovery is a tight rectus femoris muscle. Hmm. And so I've had, you know, a couple some cases of that where it's like, okay, we got the feet are kind of dragging low. Uh, Let's check that rectus femoris flexibility. Oh, it's atrocious. You know, (laughs) Um, let's work on that. And then we work on it. We improve the flexibility and then the sprinting improves. Right. So that's all I'm advocating for is like, there's certain levels that we need in order to be able to do things well. And if we are not flexible enough to do those things, then stretching is a really effective way to get there. Yeah. You know, and you can do stretching a couple times a day and you can make fast progress and flexibility. Um, So yeah, I get I, what I'm what I'm sort of referencing there is some people say, okay, yeah, we need some flexibility, but we're just going to get it by strength training, which I think can be done if you you know you take your take your hip hinges just as deep as you can and and maybe sit down there for a little while and then do a whole bunch of reps and go slow. Um, it's like okay, yeah, you can do that too. You can use strength training to uh produce structural adaptation that aids flexibility um yeah specifically you know it's it's sarcomerogenesis you're trying to get more links in the chain of the muscles and so it basically just makes the muscle longer and that gives you range of motion and i think that's good too right like we want the strength training to complement the flexibility but still the stretching will get the job done a lot faster yeah Right. I mean, I could hip hinge twice a week and, and maybe we can get there after six months or we can stretch twice a day and and get there in you know a few weeks. So. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's my spiel on flexibility um, in terms of methods. Um, yeah, with somebody who who you know needs to change their flexibility a lot. Um, they need, you know, they should spend more time in a stretch. So yeah, I would, I would tend to say like, let's do, I, you know, I know stretching can be kind of miserable, but I would tend to say like, let's do at least 10 seconds at a time Mm. and then let's do 
then let's relax for a few seconds, go back 10 seconds more. You know, if we're really trying to change. Why is that relaxation? Why is that relaxation important? Um, so it, if you, I mean, you could just test this on yourself when you wake up in the morning. If you bend down, try to touch your toes first thing out of bed, um, do a, do even if you do just a few seconds, then stand up, go back down again, you're probably going to stretch a little farther. Mm. Um, it just helps to be able to relax the muscles, stretch again, relax, stretch again. You, you, you get more range of motion that way. Mm. Um, now, it, it may also work to just stay in the stretch and just kind of progressively push it farther. Um, it's just more miserable that way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, you know, when I'm looking for adherence to things, I try to give people an option that's like more tolerable, you know, a little more enjoyable. Um, so that's where I kind of do repetition based stretching more. Um, but again, yeah, the, the people that, that need to change flexibility, it's like, you need to spend some time in this, you know, whether it, even if it is 50 reps of two seconds, like let's get, you know, let's accumulate the seconds. Yeah. Um, and then you also do, yeah, you do have the, the uh, PNF stretching where you're in a stretch position and pushing uh, against something that immovable to, you know, generate a bunch of muscle tension and that, you know, they've done research on this and it does produce like um, range of motion changes pretty fast. Yeah. Again, it's a miserable method. I mean, it's not fun at all and, and no. not something that you know most most people are probably going to do on their own which is really what you need when you're trying to make these changes you need somebody to do things on their own um so i don't i don't typically go there um with with people yeah back in the old days i, I used to manually do the pnf on the hamstrings for people mm -hmm. you know um back when it was yeah just me as a college student torturing my college student friends you know like <laughs> but uh yeah i'm not i'm not asking the the freshman uh athletes now to go do pnf stretching at home on their own you know um, i've done it a little bit with some kids but basically just to like show them look you are so bad at this <laughs> like <Okay. laughs> you really need to make some changes here um and then I'll, I'll tell them like look we don't have to do this if you just stretch on your own you know mm. um but uh yeah and then the other thing is i i do think there's a again just like sort of the deep squatting there's a potential for overdoing flexibility mm. um you know where if we get too flexible are we now going to be losing some of the stiffness that we want in particular positions um which are you know very much not stretched positions right like if we're in a shallow knee bend like where we're trying to you know the position we're trying to sprint in or something like that if we if we get too flexible in the hamstrings are we going to actually maybe mess with some of the elastic qualities that we need to see in a sprinter mm. um or you know maybe or like a high jump or something like that um again that one i don't know if it's proven i don't know if you've been able to recruit a bunch of uh you know 
elastic, high level elastic athletes to potentially mess up your athleticism by overstretching. You know, I don't know if we've been able to prove that one, but um, I think it, it kind of goes along with the experience of the, the full range of motion strength training where it's just, um, yeah, you know, we've definitely seen negative impacts over time. Yeah. It, you know, the coaches have over time and they brought this up, like we, we need to not overdo this. Um, so yeah, once you have, you know, certainly hit certain benchmarks for range of motion. Um, I don't say like, let's keep getting more and more flexible over time. Um, then I guess you could just do the strength training in full ranges. Right. And keep up a little bit of your stretching to maintain that quality, but you don't have to push the needle any further. Right. Right. So like for me, uh, you know, I'm going to use a, I'm going to use a deep squat. I'm going to use a deep hinge, but those are, you know, those are once a week type of things. And then nowadays I stretch for about, you know, two minutes at the end of a workout hmm. and I'm, I'm hitting like five reps, you know, five reps, glute, five reps, glute, five reps, different glute stretch, different glute stretch, five reps, piriformis, you know, um, hamstrings each side. And, uh, and yeah, that just helps me maintain what I have but I'm not trying to increase. I'm not, I'm not trying to become a gymnast or a contortionist or something. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I have actually abandoned stretching to some degree at times and just said like, I'm just gonna, you know, I got my lifting, I'm obviously active, like moving around. Um, and there have been some downsides to that. Hmm. I have found that I take, if I take the stretching out, you know, I do, uh, I tend to get a little bit of low back stuff going on, mm-hmm. um, which I have a history of low back things starting when I was 12, actually. So it, like, I mean, maybe I'm a little more vulnerable there than others. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, I have hamstring pull in each, each leg uh, back in my, in my, let's see, high school. And then and one in high school, one in college. And if I don't stretch those and I'm uh, like running or sprinting a fair amount, then I'll get this uh, like, I mean, I, I can guess that it's scar tissue. I don't really know, but this like painful tightening happening in back there. Um, and if I just stay on top of stretching, it keeps that, it keeps that at bay. Um, and, and, you know, just doing RDLs once a week or twice a week doesn't achieve that. Yeah. yeah I need that, that daily stretch um so yeah did that answer all the questions yeah no it it did and I think it's important to note because the research doesn't what it doesn't show is like I know from also experience you know I play at a decent level of tennis and I see the athletes like there are times like you're playing in the heat of the moment and you're going out for like a your lunge you're doing like a side lunge just to be able to retrieve a ball and because yeah. the velocities are so high, you're getting into these ranges, whereas statically, you can't even, I've seen players that can't do that in a static position. And mm-hmm. then they complain about just like some soreness in the groin or hip areas or what, whatever. And it's, well, you're doing this activity that's kind of forcing you into these ranges, but you don't really have the requisite range to, to actually get into those ranges. Right. You haven't prepared for this at all. <laughs> yeah exactly so that's where it becomes this that's where i think it is sort of an injury 
prevention mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe the research doesn't show it, but we're not we're not looking at these specific, really unique cases, right? And uh, and yeah, I mean the research is just not very insightful. I mean we're talking about just like you know a group of the general population these people stretched and these people didn't and then they you know had like similar injury rates and it's like well first of all not all injuries are flexibility related um and then all injuries are multifactorial right so you know we're we're just the research has not been deep at all you know it's just been very surface level like correlation based type of stuff um yeah it's not like okay, we're looking specifically at tennis players, looking specifically at their adductor flexibility Mm. and looking specifically at adductor injury, Mm. you know, anything like that. It's just very surface level, not very insightful at all type of stuff. So, and and also I'd like to point out like research doesn't address the individual, Mm. you know, it's, it's correlations across a population, um, which is not always very meaningful for the person in front of you you know it's just there's always going to be a limitation there so so yeah i just think the the research side of things it's not supporting the stretching at this point but it really has not been nearly good enough of research to to really argue against it either exactly i mean tell tell all the gymnasts weightlifters sprinters not to not to stretch and their coaches, right? Like they've been doing it right. <laughs> for ages. <laughs> yeah. And let's, and let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I think, uh, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you go. Cause I, I mean, I could ask you questions all day here, but, uh, we don't have all day, right, uh, right. <laughs> we can get you on again at some point. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about the other end of the spectrum, the elasticity piece, but that's, uh, there's a, there's a lot we can, we can get into there. Um, yeah, just to, to kind of wrap things up, where can people kind of find out a little bit more about you? Um, you have a, I know you have a pretty good Instagram, uh, following right now. So can you just, uh, let people know where they can check out your stuff? Yeah. So, uh, jump.science is the username on Instagram. And then, you can actually now just type jump.science into a web browser to get to the website as well. Um, the website's got a lot of free uh, articles and videos on it that are you know educational. And then uh, the Instagram is somewhat educational as well, but uh, also just kind of some you know fun training clips and stuff like that sometimes. So uh, yeah, those are the two main places. I guess I am I'm posting on YouTube again uh, recently. Nice. But it's been, it's, it's mostly just like a, a little bit longer version of the Instagram stuff. So mm. either way, either way works. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm still waiting to, to get some more of your uh, articles, but uh, you haven't, you haven't written any of them yet. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that was, uh, that was awesome. I really appreciate it, man. And uh, hopefully we can catch up again soon. Yeah. Sounds good. This is fun. Cheers.